Okay. Woo. I think we did it. <laughs> Took a minute or five. It did. It we did. fixed the sound problems from last time. Hopeful. Knock on wood. Yes. This is our this is our hoping. I don't know. I think we did it. <laughs> our All mutual right. friend Morgan um loved uh, he pointed out to me once I loved this. He was saying the the implication of the phrase knock on wood is okay. effectively that the world or something, God, the universe, something is listening to you. Uh-huh. And if you say something good that happened to you, it's going to be like, oh, nope, you fucked it. No, I'm taking it away now. Like, you shouldn't have said that. Like, if you had said, now, if you knock on wood, then I can't take it away from you. But yes, <laughs> the Why implication you- of this, like, and force of some sort that's listen that's like watching you to be like yeah oh you said a good thing that happened to you now i'm gonna take it away it's like wow yeah that is a weird ass phrase yeah i usually do knock on head because who has wood around well yeah i don't have wood around yeah <laughs> even figuratively but my head also had head and wood wow yeah that happens to work differently for dudes does it not <laughs> usually not i try my to wood. Put wood in the bedroom most of the time sometimes in the bathroom i guess but wow <laughs> oh my gosh so hey this is us we are we and here we are <laughs> we are the enlightened cast of us show i don't know i are you alive i'm like 80 percent alive I yeah think. well going from like engineer brain troubleshoot place to like hey i'm a person and i can communicate is really challenging for me i used Mm. to say this when i was doing live sound for people that when i would get into my like highly sensitive the part of my brain that does audio engineering it felt someone would come up and just ask me a simple question just lovely person just super lovely and i felt as though i had to like like the tiny version of me in my head had to like climb some ladder, like scoot through a gauntlet of tubes and over and through and then swing around a rope or something and land into like my communication brain. And then like, what was that? And then find the words and like humanly like speak. It felt that slow and awkward to just like creep out of the old parts of my brain to, to engage as a human, which is probably why the grumpy sound engineer is a thing. Because mm. I'm like deep in the recesses of this like hyper reptilian occipital animal brain plus maths of like cable connecting to like and then someday just it's hard. It's very different skill sets. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Why those things don't live in the same places in my brain, and mm. I, whew, they just don't. You, they got to keep one side. Got to keep some of that stuff on the left side. Some of that <laughs> stuff goes on the right side. <laughs> it's just how it gets organized. <laughs> well, and my favorite moment was knowing that brain space, and then being a supervisor of a whole gig. And then having the sound engineer like in there, like booty bop, boop, boop mode and like thinking of 12 things in a list and then have a client come up and try to ask them something. And they're like, they're drooling 
and they're off. It's it's almost like that movie with the catatonia. Uh, I forget. Awakenings. Where, oh, yeah. Like there's this whole world going on, but it's just in slow motion for these people. And uh, so like oh, they're oscillating. My sound engineer is drooling and oscillating in their world. And I was like, well, so let's give them like seven minutes. They're in a different world right now. And I'm pretty sure we can get you. We'll do that in just a moment. I can see that they're up to 20 things uh, in Fiji on mm-hmm. the inside of their brain. <laughs> like, what else can we work on? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, you want to start the show? I suppose so. It seems like it. a good thing to do. Three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to the Enlightened Couch Potato Show. My name is Nicholas Rave, and this is... Adrienne Gunn. And we... uh, What do we do here in this show? We explore how to watch movies and TV for maximum psychological and spiritual development. That's our philosophy here in the Enlightened Couch Potato Show. Yes, we help you to TV deeply. I... I'm excited because there were a couple of interactions in the world that are related to our show. For instance, in somewhat celebrity world, uh, Gabby, what's her name? Is that her name? Oh, my gosh. Oh, names. Uh Uh-oh. Glennon. Glennon. Not Gabby. Glennon Doyle. I think is her name and Abby. That's where it is. I call Gabby because Abby and Glennon are in a relationship together. Abby, the soccer player lady. What's your knuckle? Anyway, the two of them are in a relationship. Glennon wrote these amazing books, warrior, love warrior, and some other carry on warrior and untamed recently. That's what released this year. So they sometimes will release videos on Instagram where they're capturing them and funny moments of the relationship. Like one of them, drinking the other's milkshake and that's ridiculous and who does that and the other day they were uh uh glennon was freaking out because they spent so much anxiety ridden time trying to figure out what to watch on television next and that's part of their lives uh and then i was like oh i'm really good at this i'm really good at figuring out what to watch next if this is the collection of things that you enjoy you should watch these things or even uh the idea that even helping people have a frame of mind to watch something that they weren't enjoying before, but figuring mm-hmm. out how to watch it so that they can. So that came up and that was pretty fun. Uh, a friend of mine is attempting to get me to do that as a service. And I was like, well, that's very like low dollar thing. <laughs> yeah. But I might figure out how to do TikToks. It's like, if you love this show, here's some other stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a thing. You got to do it for the, the collective, like a database of some sort. Totally. Well, so I, there are three things that I've watched that I want to talk about. I'm going to tell you, and then we can talk about how to talk about it. Cool. Okay. Okay. All right. So I finally finished glow, not knowing that they can were canceled. So yeah. I watched season three of glow. And then last night I watched Creed two and I followed that up with, Black Swan, which I know you've mentioned before. Yes, I'd love to talk about that. Um, I never saw Creed 1. I heard it was fabulous as far as like, it was like, the way I heard it described was 
this is a great movie, even if you don't like boxing movies. And if you like boxing movies, it's it's one of the best. Yes. Yeah. Well, I I heard the second one did not live up to that, but I still haven't seen the first one. So what's funny is that it it also builds on the sort of the Rocky movie, which is amazing that like the Stallone story is pretty phenomenal. I don't know if you know much about him. About how he got that movie written and produced and written and produced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And absolutely refused to let them have it unless he could play the lead role and they were like no absolutely not yeah and then academy award winning totally and it's an interesting thing because what's fun is that so the creed movies build into the rocky world so they use a lot of the stuff that's going on in all the other rocky movies so there's there's some soundtrack stuff that's going on that harkens back to rocky's world and taking whatever sly has learned now like modern filmmaking and storytelling and still honoring what was beautiful about the Rocky movies plus better boxing sequences. One of the things that always drove me nuts about the Rocky movies was just how that wasn't boxing. Mm. It's like weird street fighting. I was like, okay, now I'm going to do a slew of, I get to punch you and no one has defense like over and over and over giant punches. And then you do this, and I was like, that's not boxing. Right. Uh, and maybe it just made more sense for filming back then. I don't know. It seems like there's been an evolution from, you know, like the the early days of cowboy movies where they're like, I'm going to punch you now. Wham. And then the other person is like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So ridiculous. And you just watch the fights or well, the one that I don't get is always fucking both hands in a fist. Where they'll be like, I'm going to swing this at you. Like Star Trek, like the old Star Trek. Uh-huh. They would like hit the guy in the face with your both of your hands like this. And they would swing it like that's a move. I don't, <laughs> yeah. So um, I feel like there's been an evolution of people that want to see something that's both impressive to watch and also feels more authentic. And like John wick would be like the pinnacle of like gunfighting that is awesome to look at, but also feels like it has some degree of authenticity. Um, And martial arts movies, there's sorry, there's like two martial arts movies. There's like fantasy Kung Fu stuff. And I'm like, I'm good with that. Like I, I watched the movie and I'm like, Watching the fight scenes, I'm like, okay, this one is not meant to be realistic. <laughs> but then there's some where they're like, no, the point is we want it to look kind of real. Um, you know who I think probably did that first and maybe one of the best hmm. was um, fucking Steven Seagal. Oh, yeah. I had a roommate that we would just sort of play around sparring and he loved mimicking Seagal's fighting style, which is Wing Chun, I think. No, uh, it's, um, it's Aikido. He was a, he was like a six degree black belt. He was one of the first Westerners to actually be allowed to teach in Japan, teach Aikido. Oh, nice. but He's a he legit Aikido martial artist. Thing, the slappy thing where he doesn't leave his hands from your hands style too, which is also in Wing Chun. Well, there may be some overlap there, but okay. I I don't know. And he, I think he claims to have studied 
dozens of martial arts, which maybe he has, but he's, he's also completely fucking nuts now. (laughs) Um, And maybe he was then, but fame did not do good things for that man. That in concussion, like fame is traumatizing. I don't know if we've talked about that much on this show. It's something we can talk about at some point, but yeah, I love it when things are, the choreography seems a bit more realistic. And what was Mm -hmm. always annoying to me in the, in the Rocky films and others was where you've got these highly trained people who seem to not have defense. And I've taken mm-hmm. a lot of boxing classes and the thing that is yelled at people the most is hands up, hands up, hands up. Fucking hands exactly. Up. Right. And hey. their, their arms are down like this while they're getting punched and punched and punched. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I'm like, uh, and I know that there are heavyweights who have a fighting style with a lower thing and they bring it up, but they're, they're positioned in a way where they can block some shit and to not have any blocking. Yeah. So Creed is bigger and better than all of that. And we don't have to talk good. about it if you haven't watched it yet. Cause it's no, I, I haven't seen it, fun. but I, yeah, I heard it was really good. So glow, tell me about glow. I think that glow is like, it's a love letter to wrestling. Now I know that the story glow stands for gorgeous ladies of wrestling which really was a show back in the 80s and i i do remember catching some of it so they're really the show is telling this story of a thing that actually happened of a horror director um some canned food heiress he's not an heiress like this guy has is from canned food money and he wants to produce a women's wrestling show and so he finds this director this horror director who's like available and the two of them call do a casting call for a bunch of actresses and then they teach them how to wrestle and they put on this this show and they figure it out and that's kind of it's really scrappy uh and it's funny and i grew up watching wrestling freaking loved it when i was little uh there was a kid in our neighborhood that we were all of us were friends with him mostly because he had he would always get the pay-per-view wrestling you told matches. this story before i remember like, <laughs> he was sweet he was a sweet person and you know growing there there are always people before you can pick who your friends are there are always people yeah. who are kind of sweet and you have to like get into a mood to join them like my neighbor kid would only whenever we would play make-believe she would always be animals and so you're like wanting to play cops and robbers and 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 she's the horse. And we're like, yeah. I'm not going to ride you, but cool. You'll just be like, that's the horse that hangs outside the precinct. I don't yeah. know. We got to figure it out because she's <laughs> home and we need people. <laughs> this is mounted police <laughs> here <laughs> like it in in uh, Central Park. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So so glow is fun because it reminds me of this beautiful. uh aggressive soap opera that is wrestling and this is before like massive arena events i mean this is like just just before hulk hogan years and andre like wrestling is not big money yet uh and so it's kind of fun to see them put on their characters and figure out their stuff and uh it's a little sad because season three was really written as though they knew that they were coming back for season four. So Mm. really it just sort of ends at this really sad, who knows what the heck is going on place. Hate that. And that's really hard. Uh, Yeah. 
Kind of I like- guess you have to write the end of the story for yourself in those cases, because I have those stories, too, that they're just these open loops of seasons of something that never came back or sequels of something that you were waiting for. Yeah, I'm not sure why they were canceled. They really actually had plans for their next series. And one of the things that I did read when I learned that they were canceled is that apparently a lot of the um, act- actors of color had some they had some challenges here's the here's a, here's a weird it's not a weird problem so if you're playing a show that's based in the 80s and you have a lot of people of color and one of the things that wrestling was doing was doing like really stereotypically right. racist characters and so now yeah. it's 20 you know mid 20 teens or whatever and you got to like you're doing these roles set in a time you're doing it. But then how do you write it in a way that you still make the characters in their real lives real and not stereotypical? And how do you dress it? And do you? Dress yeah. It? And how do you, how do you make it like without specifically saying just to be clear, everyone, this is what was normal back then. How do you make like the good characters not seem like they're racist? Because they're allowing this to take place where right. back then it was like, well, this this was kind of normal. And yeah. Yeah. Like you can't be more woke than the 80s. Right. But <laughs> right. you also have to treat your actors well because you're you're putting this out now. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to, to grapple with. And uh, yeah. I hadn't thought all too much about it. I was just mm. letting myself enjoy the like the feistiness of, of people with very little money trying to figure out how to put on something rad. And cause there's no, there's no one who's really killing it at life in this show. Mm. Uh, and so that's kind of cool. Cause everybody's an underdog and it's a big team doing a collaborative thing and doing the best with the resources that they have. And that gets me really, really excited. Hmm. I have a couple of wrestling anecdotes. Sure. Um, I, I never got into wrestling. It was not a thing that I, I watched. Um, I remember being peripherally aware of like Hulk Hogan. Um, so lately I have watched a couple of podcast interviews with big, big named wrestlers. Um, the first one was um, Diamond something or other. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of like the million dollar man, but no. Yeah. So there's a wrestler. He was a pretty big deal. uh, From what I understand, he, he had stories about everybody. Um, And he uh, like most of them was in excruciating pain and got super into yoga and now has a, a training. Did you did you see the viral video of the guy who was like walking on crutches? Um, he was a um, he was in the military. He was jumping out of airplanes, and then the the video shows his progression. And then yeah. there's like the shot of him upside down. He worked with this rest former wrestler. He was the guy, his program. And when he emailed, he emailed him and was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the program. I can barely walk. And he started getting on calls with him and coaching him through the process. And that is how that guy had that journey was nice. because of this. Um, I, I want to say it's like, Diamond Dog Taylor or something like that. It's like DDT right. or something. I don't remember. Anyway, whatever. 
So that was an amazing story. And then he had Jake the Snake on there. Nice. Um, and he told the story about somebody actually getting bit by a real snake in one of the things where um, uh, Vince McMahon was like, yeah, no, this is going to happen <laughs> and you're going to get hurt. And it, it like, this is real, like not it, um, some of the stuff is fake, but not this. This was a real goddamn snake and it really rat- latched onto his arm. And oh he had God. all these stories about that. And then most recently it was The Undertaker. <gasps> cool. And and he was out of character. And he said, um, and Joe at one point was like, is it weird for you to be here like just as you? And he's like, you have no idea. He's like, I was I was shitting myself before I got here. He's like, it's <laughs> one of the first interviews. And I'm here talking to you for two hours as myself, just telling stories about all this. And because um, he was in character all the time for yes. years. Um, yeah. Anyway, I've been hearing those stories and like that. It's interesting to me to have a window into the world of the friends that I knew when I was little and the way they felt about it. Cause you see some of the adults in these interviews talking about, Oh my God, what it was like and how it's a religious experience um, for, for them. Yeah, um, it makes sense. There's- on a related. Oh, go ahead. There's a lot that's very similar in the revival revival shows to wrestling, yeah. like stirring yeah. up the audience and getting them in on the the story and uh, the epic comeback stories or or she did him wrong and so or somebody stole his girl and the whole and then just getting the whole crowd into it. Man, I always think about opera. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like opera to me. Like it feels like that kind of grand epic conflicts between these and it's being portrayed. Yeah. Um, So on a related note, um, did you know that Chris Hemsworth um, has been bulking up um, to play Hulk Hogan in a biopic? (laughs) And he, he is trying to get, the 23 inch pythons as uh as hulk used to say <laughs> yeah oh my i God. think that could totally freaking work i hope they do it like i'm curious what the tone of the movie is going to be because yeah uh hulk uh, hogan's still alive um mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's going to be the highs and the lows or they're going to like kind of whitewash it in the sa- in the same way they did with the uh queen biopic um mm. like to me have you seen the wrestler yeah no it's gritty and wow. love them i mean so that speak hey did i just guy, smoothly this- transition into <laughs> uh you know who directed the wrestler <laughs> the same person who directed yeah, black swan black swan and those are two of my favorite darren aronofsky moves movies so let's start with darren aronofsky is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time like he's okay. made some of my favorite movies he made the fountain he made um black swan which i absolutely love he made the wrestler which i think is a masterpiece he made pie which is another movie um early in his career that really stood out to me it was his very first he's i've never seen requiem for a dream but i probably would like it even though i've heard it's really hard to watch yeah um but uh black swan may be it's easily one of my favorites of his. So I haven't seen it in quite a while, but I've seen it more than once. Yeah. Um, but I'd rather, since you're fresh and you just now have an impression of it, I'd rather have you go first. 
Totally. So I recall some conversation that we had where you said something about Black Swan and then you were surprised that I hadn't seen it yet. And I was surprised I hadn't seen it yet. And it's one of those movies where I'd mostly apparently had avoided spoilers other than that it was like dark or disturbing and like, whoa, there, there was like some sort of dark mystique around it. And I actually went into, okay, normally I try to like synopsize. Uh, Dark Swan is the story of a, of a professional dancer who gets to d- dance the Swan Queen in Swan Link. That is the synopsis of the whole movie. That is really the whole plot. And apparently, you know, if you know Swan Lake, the ballet, there's this white swan and then there's this black swan and the dark queen or whatever the heck. There's a thing there. So I had no idea what the movie was going to be. And I totally, after it finished and I saw what it ended up being, I was like, this was not at all what I was expecting from the, like, like this idea of this dancer attempting to or or relating more or identifying with the darker swan of this mm, show. Yeah. Like no. th- th- I saw the synopsis of the movie and I'm like, that's not no what happened. No. That's not uh, that's not what the movie is about from yes. my perspective. Yeah. And here I really thought that I was going to watch Natalie Portman as uh, a a ballet person being quite uh, deliciously and just growing into more and more evil. I thought it was going to be a super weird, sexually, wonderfully empowering, like cool, like vicious ballet. Because here's the funny thing. I'm watching this movie and I, and I finished it and I was like, I wonder if this person, does this person know dancers <laughs> at all? <laughs> Like, there's so much not in this movie about ballet world that I'm incredibly confused. Like, Mm. maybe the director is sort of ish close to ballet world, kind of. But I'm like, did this person do any research about these people? Well, what makes you think he didn't? Okay, first of all, okay, all sorts of spoilers. Can we just go from here forth? Yeah, spoilers. Spoilers. Okay. No one is as naked anywhere. That's a thing. Maybe that's a choice. There's just, there's just no there's just no wandering breasts anywhere. Uh, so wait, wait, you're saying normally there is and there isn't in the movie or there was like in the there's movie? Just, there's just humans who are deeply uh in relationship with their bodies and movement tend to at the professional level of ballet, not be that clothed in a lot of spaces. So Uh that's choice. That's in other, like other movies capture that. That is a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so here's this particular character who's so repressed. I think that this person is, potentially an except like an exception to the rule now like meticulous and perfectionist and ocd works at a level of success where you get to move forward but to not have malleability in their dancing 
and be able to work with even small suggestions and shift, that is not someone who gets to be a professional dancer. That's that's someone who stops at some point or is fired or whatever. But like, don't but don't you think like to to me like I'm gonna have to go into a little bit of my interpretation. Sure. To me. I felt like that was the point of this cautionary tale that Mm -hmm. the cautionary tale is about to me. What I take from it um, is uh, it's about what happens when you take your trauma into art Um, and then art. Like if you're using this, not in a good way, like let, 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 your create art out of your trauma this is like you're using your trauma to try to get yourself to be better and get to be perfect and her mother is a significant part Mm -hmm. of the story and the the Mm -hmm. way that she fucked her up and that she basically loses it there's like there's something about losing yourself in this pursuit of something and to me like what you're saying like most or you're saying everyone who would be like that would never get to that level i don't know i'm just very i'm I'm just very like it seems as though this particular character has been in the company a while there are tons of parts where you can perfectly execute things and be parts of groups and that's potentially the story that this this character has a precision of technique that allows her to dance well in group numbers. Fine. Cool. Maybe that person survives that long and can, can dance professionally because they still maintain their size and technique. And so she's not young either. She's been around a while. Uh, so, so that, that by her perfectionism as a strategy, she has been repressing a whole lot of life, her own yeah. life. Yeah. And so, so I was like, I wrote down in Facebook world, I was like, finally watched Black Swan was not what I expected. And a bunch of people responded. And one of the people that responded was like, they find that that they don't like Aronofsky's movies because the characters do not grow or evolve. There's something that like the director takes us through some sort of journey and pokes at stuff, but doesn't have a kind of resolve. And so what I... I saw that, then I went to sleep, and then I woke up thinking about it again. And I was like, here's here's a learning that's that's in alignment with our show. So essentially, if I do the spoiler synopsis, there is a perfectionist professional dancer who is a bit repressed. And something triggers uh, a darker aspect of her personality to begin to show itself in her life. Which is fantastic because she's supposed to be playing this role of both a white swan and this dark swan, both motivated by different things. And there seems to be a battle between her dark side and we'll call it her light side, but I don't know that that's really a true way of... And then it's sort of a strange psychological thriller. There's uh, hallucinations that happen and it's, it's a ride that's a bit tragic. Uh, and apparently the only way that she was able to fully embody or allow this dark swan to exist on stage is to ha- this thing, this part of her had to take over her entire body uh, and kill the other or attempt to kill the other. Then it dances out on stage and then she dies. So like, it's a weird freaking 
movie and story. And so I'm waking up in the morning. I was like, here's the thing, though. If we think about Jungian shadow work, that there's this there's this way in which when we point at stuff and we say, that's not me, and I'm not that, or we repress aspects of ourselves, our unconscious mind is seeking wholeness. So it is going to allow that aspect in you to grow so you can reconcile and, and um, like figure out how to... Uh, integrate those aspects of your own self. And if you don't, it will, it'll, it'll grow like a cancerous extra personality. And here is a parable that is the extreme of this thing. And the, the problem is that, that if you grow a part of you that you don't integrate such that you both hate each other and they like, you can't kill one without killing all. Right. And other shows have done this. We've got, we were talking about Once Upon a Time. The Evil Queen has a has a split thing that happens. Uh, Killer Frost in The Flash. There are other shows that actually do the integration and healing around this. And here is a parable about, uh, I guess, a cautionary tale of what, I don't know if it could happen. <laughs> Tend, <laughs> tends to be when people don't integrate their shadow, their shadow shows up, take over their body. And does antisocial things or sabotages stuff or like pokes out in ways that make life really painful. But this one is like, oh, you've killed yourself because you didn't integrate the thing. So the comment they left about the characters don't grow. Mm -hmm. I have heard the argument made that we have become very limited as a culture in what kinds of stories we like. Because um, there's certain stories that make more money than other stories. And so those stories get supported in a sort of Darwinian way. And then sort of everything ends up being like a kind of fast food of storytelling. Like it's very easy to eat. It tastes good. It's very it just it goes down easy and then you're hungry for more. Yeah. Um, in olden times. Um, stories were more complicated than that. Um, it wasn't like there's comedies and there's action and there's horror and that's it. Right. <laughs> um, there was tragedy was a big one. And right. one of the theories around tragedy, first of all, Swan Lake is a tragedy. So Black Swan being a tragedy is a reflection of it's almost a retelling of the the ballet, the story mm-hmm. of the ballet. Um, so on top of that, the way that I see it is one of the reasons we don't like tragedies is when we watch someone else grow, we get the feeling of growing. And yes, part of you may be growing with them, but when you watch someone fail to grow, mm-hmm. it puts the onus on you to grow. When right. I watch her fail to accomplish this spectacularly, then I have to go, what do I need to learn from this? So I don't do that. And it, yeah. it's, they're more challenging stories um, and not saying everybody has to like them, like feel free to be drawn to what you're drawn to. Sure. And that's part of what I think is difficult with stories like this. Yeah. One of the things that was driving me a little crazy was that that there's a 
there's a man in a position of power who theoretically should have the skill set to bring out better performances and dancers. That's like his fucking job. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't actually, he doesn't give like, certainly she could be so closed off that she can't take feedback or do something with it. But like, he has no, he has one strategy to attempt to, to help this dancer explore and expand and open up and, and, and embody something new on stage. Plus none of the other people where that's literally their job to do. Like no, no one had a skill set to help her embody the part that they gave her, which I yeah. thought was very, maybe that's realistic. Well, in real, in real life, um, people like that don't exist in isolation. Like you yeah. end up in a, you, you generally end up in a toxic environment that supports your own patterns of, of, like in a, a healthy, supportive team environment like that, it would be one where you are sharing openly and freely about what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. She wasn't being honest. She was like, he didn't know what was going on. She wasn't friends with anyone else there either. And she didn't share with any of them. So you're saying like someone else could have helped her. Well, not if she's so closed off that she's not sharing with anybody. Um, this is one strategy to help somebody close down uh emote with more freedom sensuality and sexuality was to just tell her she wasn't and then sometimes try to make out with her and then be really disappointed that she had yeah. no idea how to seduce anyone and it's like that's <laughs> yeah not saying his strategies were good <laughs> no they were awful they're right. just... so in a sense he is also caged in in the same way that she is like his directing is just as frigid as her dancing was. Mm. Well, it's interesting to to imagine where the story goes as it continues. Like, what is his reaction when his lead dancer, who just gave the best performance ever in the history of whatever, yeah. and and then he realizes she killed herself? What does that make him question about himself and his own? Like there's a sequel <laughs> about, <laughs> about like the director. Yeah. Um, well, you, did you yeah. Oh, Winona Ryder also beforehand, like her character who was his princess, I suppose. That's right. I forgot. Throws herself in, in front of a car or a bus or something. Yeah. That's yeah. two dancers in a row. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's following you, dude. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Um, um, did you did you know that Natalie Portman married her dance partner in the movie? No. Yeah. The dance partner in the movie, they uh, hooked up while the movie was going on and then they're married and have multiple kids now. That's awesome. I yeah. mean, I guess that they're like there's pro there are probably ballet dancers who are very, very focused on not having lots of sex. <laughs> Professional dance. I, I don't. Probably. They're all focused. But there's a lot of sex having going to find yeah. the one frigid dancer to tell this story about. I'm just like. <laughs> to not be a like expressing. Seems sensuality. like a gross generalization about dancers. <laughs> <laughs> just it might be. But to like. 
to specifically be be a professional dancer and not have any ability to communicate that particular thing at that level doesn't I, I, again yeah. my interpretation of it is that is exactly how she how she ended up in this spectacular explosion is that she was like trying to get there through tension and through repression and through control mm. and this is what happens when you climb to that level that way if it was possible to climb to that level and you're you're right in saying most people who have that kind of um baggage don't they quit or they don't get there or they get kicked out or whatever but right. the idea that she could just keep it together just keep it together keep it together and then she find somehow gets to that level and then the pressure is overwhelming and her mother and all this and, and it, that's why she fucking goes crazy <laughs> right yeah and the theory also is that apparently she'd always had this particular part that her mother was like keeping down for mm. her mm. like she was always like scratching or picking. There was always something trying to get out. And so they would like tape her hands to keep this part of her locked down and inside. I, yeah, but I mean, that's all that nars that uh, the Alexander Lowen repression of the animal impulse and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, totally universal. I did say to this friend that I, that I wonder what would happen if we watched the movie, um, assuming that the darker half was the protagonist. And that mm. perhaps it was a story of growth and triumph. <laughs> if we just yeah, we just she wins. From... She kills the oppressor. <laughs> <laughs> she escapes and she's free. Found the movie like highly disturbing, and they just couldn't. Uh, they didn't know how to exist or live after. Mm. I didn't have that response. Yeah, I. Uh, it's Darren Aronofsky knows how to pull out the stops. Like that is not a comfortable movie by any means. Um, and I, I walked away from it going, "Oh, wow!" But I've, I, I was introduced to the concept of tragedy very early on. Like I started reading Shakespeare when I was like thirteen, um, and uh, and not just the fun ones, um, not just comedy of errors and Much Ado About Nothing. I was reading right. Hamlet and Titus and, um, uh these are challenging story structures that we really don't have a lot of examples of this kind of thing right. anymore. Um, uh, there's an amazing movie with Jake Gyllenhaal called um, Nightcrawler. Did you see it? Mm, maybe not yet. Let me double check. It's a movie where your protagonist is an antagonist. It's like the an, an, an anti-hero is the wrong word because that kind of makes them seem charming. He, it's like it turn it starts out and he's like you, you're not quite sure, but he's a little awkward and weird. And by yeah. the time you get to the end, you're like, oh my god, we've been following a fucking monster this entire movie, and then it ends. Nice. <laughs> it ends as he's becoming successful being a monster and like um yeah these are these are not feel good eat pop they, they don't make people eat a bunch of popcorn you're not like ah <laughs> oh, oh, this is great and it, yeah they don't these movies i mean ozark like you and i both watched that oh, that's, that's a show where yeah there is growth but it's it's almost more just like moving from one crisis to another and they never have mm -hmm. time to grow because yeah, the they're 100s like that um yeah. 
Uh, uh, I do have, uh, I got to wrap this up, but I yeah. do have one other thing that I started watching that I just remembered. We're still watching Preacher, um, trying to get through as much of it as possible. Oh my God, it's so fucking good. The last, the climax of season one is so good. Um, and then like, they just hit the reset button and they're like, okay, next season, totally different show. <laughs> oh, weird. Um, it, yeah, it's awesome. I, I'm so enjoying it. Um, very dark. And, and amazing um <laughs> uh it's like boys but less funny <laughs> um okay so the other show that we just started um that i've never gotten around to is uh freaks and geeks oh yeah uh judd apatow so i heard something i heard i was just going through an interview series called off camera on youtube it's really lovely um sits down with actors and directors and writers um very unscripted very casual conversation it's kind of like inside the actor studio but a little more casual and no audience of college students sure. um uh they're talking about the craft and the work and um uh, and i enjoy that so it, there was one where they interviewed Seth Rogen, and I uh, that one is part of what made me want to watch Preacher because I was like, oh, Seth Rogen is really smart. Like, he's not a, a stoner dumbass like he plays and he's like understands movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, And then they interviewed Judd Apatow in a different one. And he was talking about he asked him, like, did you know what you had on your hands when you start when you were making Freaks and Geeks, like one of the greatest TV shows, according to them, one of the yeah. greatest TV shows of all time. Um, and he said, kind of he's like, as soon as he handed as soon as I got the script and I saw the name, he was like, oh, this is going to be a thing because he's like, that's it. Yes. Freaks and Geeks. That's who we were. That's that is it. So then he starts reading it and he's like. So then he described how they made it. And he's like, how did you get this incredible ensemble cast of just these real young, actually high school aged kids to pull this off? And he said, well, they did something that I've never heard of in TVs before. They they didn't write the script until they had the actors. They had a general idea of who the characters were. Right. And they went out and they interviewed people and they said they basically hired really fascinating people and then brought them in and had them and then wrote the character around them. And they said not that that is who they are on right. screen, but that they looked at them and were like, who can they play? Who is that person? And then all these stories emerged from they said every single one of the cast members added to the story from their own experiences in high school so he, he said the whole thing evolved out of this like almost every single story you can point to yep that really happened this person experienced that and this writer had that happen and this actor had this happen and um it, 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 after i heard that interview i was like all right i gotta go freaking watch that show <laughs> and i've watched two episodes so far and i'm like okay yeah like i can see why all of these people went on to be um, pretty big because um, they're all amazing and it's really wonderful. Nice. Yeah, I've considered watching that. I don't know that I have. I, maybe I tried to watch one episode or I looked for it and couldn't find it. I love that. I There's a, there's a local company here in Portland that does very collaborative work. They mm -hmm. 
they have their actors tell stories and like, here's some themes we're all thinking about. And then they write stuff together and they source uh, local stories of friends and families and something like that. I went to see one of their Christmas shows that was one of those kinds of pieces of work. And I'm like, this is amazing. Cause it was like edgy and weird and also relatable. Cause they'd, they gathered a lot of true stories over time. And then that's awesome them together. It's like, more of that, please. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked – and then they uh, in the Seth Rogen interview, they said that when Seth Rogen and um, Evan Goldberg wrote uh, Superbad, that they were, they were modeling what happened on Freaks and Geeks where most of that is just their experience in high school. It's just a different story. And um, worth checking out, by the way, if you want to – Go at least the Seth Rogen interview and then check out anybody else. The Zach Galifianakis interview is also really good on it's called off camera. If you like those kinds of sit down interviews, um, the Seth, Seth Rogen and Zach Galifianakis one are really good. I do. I like that stuff. Yeah. And the the interviews, the interviewer is just very, very soft. And like, he knows how to connect. Like you can, he seems like he's friends with all these people. Um, Uh, which is um, a a hard thing to do. That's an impressive skill as an interviewer. Nice. So I love it. Do we have homework for each other? We're just going to come back with whatever. Well, you mentioned something about the Marvel series, but I feel like we should save that. Like, like we should do that. Like, like as a summer project or something, like we'll go through all of them or something. Um, Do I have anything on my agenda? Oh, I did watch another movie um, that I'd love to talk to you about for the second time. Have you seen Knives Out? Yes. It came out somewhat recently, a couple years ago. Is it the Christmas one with the vomiting? No. Hold on. Knives Out is a mystery. What is the Christmas one with the vomiting? riveting television no it's the christmas one with the vomiting i think it came out well it it's definitely it's oh oh may oh it's not set at christmas though no yes oh it just came out okay and and i'm sorry vomiting yes she she (laughs) tells up when she tells a lie yeah that part Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 Yeah. Well, we could we could talk about that. I really enjoyed it. I watched it a second time and was like, "Wow, this movie's really good." Okay, um, but I'll that, watch it that's again. not homework because, um, yeah, watch it a second time and see if you can pick up some of the. Because I want to talk about subliminal stuff. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Picking so up was, subliminal stuff specifically. Yeah, there was a lot of subliminal um, things that I noticed in it this time. Nice. So, okay, I'll do it. Okay, I'll watch right. it. I love all those people. <laughs> yeah. If you have any uh, assignments for me, uh, let me know. But I got to run. Okay. Okay. TV TV Deeply, deeply. everyone. Bye.